0: and that's it. Like truly, it's Jesus, right? The name above every other name, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, which does mean that at some point in time, Jesus will come back and put an end to everything that we have in front of us, including all the chaos, which also includes this little thing called COVID, right? Can I talk about this for a moment really quick and then I'll jump into my sermon. Obviously we see the numbers just like you do. We know that it's on the rise. We're keeping our eye on it. We wanna be intelligent and wise in the decisions that we make. But I also want to let you know and be very clear about this. We have no desire to change course right now. Hopefully we've all learned how to live with this thing and around and through this thing. And uh, we're continuing to make wise decisions, right? You're making those decisions as a family and we're making those wise decisions as a church. But we're not canceling anything. We're not changing anything. So continue to like stay engaged, like sign up, show up and be a part of what we're unfolding before you as far as opportunities are concerned when it comes to trace. We've got so many incredible things, as Jessica was mentioning just before I got up here, all the different things that we're offering as a church right now, like stay engaged, stay engaged. And you've heard me say this over the last several weeks, uh, or to some extent, maybe you heard Pastor Josiah say this last week, we believe that when a faith isn't being developed that it will drift, and so stay engaged. Engage. i'm particularly excited about a course that josiah and i are going to be teaching here in a few weeks it's our first faith development course it's going to be next monday and childcare is available for this but we're going to be talking about the reliability of the bible and so if you don't have anything going on on monday nights i want to encourage you to sign up for that you do need to register for that come and be a part of it sound good all right well let me jump into my sermon and i'll begin this way when we decided to do this series like i was very intentional about it. i just wanted it to be the name of jesus Because he's enough. He's the main thing. He always has been and always will be the main thing. But all of us have to admit that either this is the reality of our life now, maybe it has been in the past or it might be in the future, that we don't always keep him the main thing, do we? Sometimes instead of him being the focus of our life, he kind of drifts into the periphery of our life. And yes, we still kind of hold on to him or come to him maybe when we need something, but we couldn't necessarily say he's the main thing thing of our life. And we get caught up in so many things. There's so many things that cause us to drift. Let me see if I can identify with a couple of those. Maybe for some, it's spiritual intellectualism, right? Maybe for some, it's this idea, what I've often referred to as point-proving theology, where you get so caught up in theological positions and wanting to prove a point on something the Bible says or doesn't say, that you actually lose sight of Jesus in the process because you just want to prove a point. For others, it could be this hyper-focus on the spiritual gifts, right? And let me be clear about, it, about this. As a church, we believe in all the spiritual gifts, but I also watch, I've watched a lot of people become so hyper-focused on experiences and what the Spirit is doing or wants to do in it through your life. And again, be careful what I'm not saying here because I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but be, you come so hyper-focused on experience that you lose sight of Jesus. Or maybe for you. Maybe for you, something happened, didn't it? Something happened. And whatever it was that hap- happened caused you to feel disconnected from God. And because you felt disconnected from God, you disengaged. Whatever it is, whatever your story and however your story reads, all of us have a tendency to drift. And as we drift away from God, I've often referred to this kind of like a spiritual cold. We feel the disconnect. We feel like something's off, just like a cold, right? Something is not right. Something feels off. And honestly, church, I'm, I'm not sure that altogether we can avoid these seasons in our lives. But we can be intentional. We can put some action steps in place in our faith to make sure that Jesus stays the main thing that he stays the focal point of our life, that he doesn't just drift into the periphery and we only come to him when we need him. But it does take intentionality. And so what I'd like to do in our time today to maybe bring Jesus back into focus is I'd like to look at who Jesus is. And who better to tell us who Jesus is than Jesus himself? And so what I want to do is I want to look at seven particular statements that he makes about himself, often referred to as the seven I am statements of Jesus, and here they are. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And so let's begin by looking at the first one. I am the bread of life. Trace, do you know what this means? It means that Jesus will never be for the keto diets. So go eat some bread in the name of the Father and the Son. Praise God, hallelujah. Somebody's got a hand up in the back. Thank you, Jesus, for bread. If you really want to understand the context, sorry. It's an old personal trainer joke. Um, If you want to understand the context of what Jesus is saying here, you really do need to read the entire chapter. You see, Jesus notices that there's some people following him for the wrong reasons. And so he's calling them out, and we'll read that in just a moment. But he notices they're following him for the wrong reasons. In other words, it's not about what God wants for their life, it's about what they can get, specifically when it comes to a meal, right? I mean, some of these guys have watched Jesus take a few loaves of bread and some fish and feed 5,000 people. And so they know it's like, hey, if we stay in company with this guy, like the next meal is on the house, you know what I'm saying? So let's make sure we're around when he does that again. Jesus observes this, and he decides to speak directly to it because, and hopefully we know this, following Jesus has never been about what we can just get. It's about what God wants for our lives. Here's what he says, he says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, these are some of the guys following him for the wrong reason." sir, they said, always give us that bread, like that's the extra gluten bread, we'll take that, right, like give us that bread. Then Jesus declared, and I can almost see Jesus nodding, or not nodding, shaking his head as he's saying this. Like, man, you don't get it. I'm the bread of life, I am. I'm the bread of life, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, the point that Jesus is making is that yes, food and bread can offer some sustenance. It can satisfy some hunger for a bit. But only he, only he can satisfy and fulfill and sustain us in our spiritual lives forever. A little bit later, he says this in John chapter 6, verse 40. He says, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. And even a little bit later in this chapter, he says something, and again, continuing to use this illustration of bread and continue to refine those that are following him, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. And so once again, he's taking this metaphor, he's taking this analogy, and he's going pretty deep with it. With it. And what he's saying here is, if you don't find your full sustenance of life, if you don't find the complete fulfillment of life within me, then you can't have eternal life in you. But after some of the disciples, and it doesn't just say his followers, it says some of his disciples, after some of his disciples, and this wouldn't have been the top 12, but some of his disciples heard this, and then in John chapter six, verse 66, think about that, John 6, 6, 6, It says, when they heard that, they left and abandoned him, for that teaching was too hard. Which leads me to a question. Are you looking to Jesus just to satisfy a craving from time to time? Are you looking to Jesus just to satisfy a craving from time to time? Maybe it's kind of that cry for help moment in your life. I've had them. Are you looking for him just to satisfy a craving from for time to time, or are you looking to him to sustain you and satisfy you daily? To which some of you truly may wrestle with the question, especially if you're new to all of this can he actually do that? Is Jesus enough to sustain me? To which he would say, I am. Our next I am statement comes from John chapter eight and Jesus says this, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's my guess. Everyone in this room has likely had an experience at some point in their life where you felt real fear, like you felt real fear because you were in physical darkness, And the reason that there's really, there's like a a deep-seated fear when it comes to the dark, not only for kids, but for adults, is because when you're in dark, like pitch dark, your mind starts to play some tricks on you, right? When you can't see anything, your mind has to make up things that would potentially, could potentially be around you. For instance, has anyone ever run up the stairs a little bit faster in the dark because you felt like something or someone was behind you? Yeah, me too. You see, our minds do have a way of playing tricks on us in the dark and if you've ever walked into a dark room like pitch dark it's it's incredibly disorienting and what we have a tendency to do especially if it's a room that you're familiar with but you don't know where you're necessarily at in that room what you start doing is you start reaching in the dark right because if you can just find a reference point then it helps you feel a little bit more comfortable where you're actually at As a pastor, I often look at someone maybe across the table or sitting in my office and a question that I will ask them is, hey, how are you? And then I pause for a moment and I look at them as intently as I can and I say, really, how are you? And it's not uncommon for me to get an answer that sounds something like this, I'm not sure. I don't know where I'm at right now when it comes to my marriage. I don't know where I'm at right now when it comes to my faith. I don't know where I'm at right now when it comes to my life. And trace to a world that is lost in this kind of darkness, Christ is offering himself as our guide. Because when it comes to the spiritual darkness in our lives, don't miss this, sometimes what our minds make up in the spiritual darkness of our lives, sometimes what our minds make up in hopes to find a solution as we reach for things, sometimes what our minds make up will mess us up. Anybody ever been there? I have. See, when Jesus told us that he is the light of the world, he was using a very real, tangible illustration as an invitation to allow him to be our reference point. I love how David says this in Psalm 23. He says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid because you're close beside me. We all have dark seasons in our life, don't we? We all have dark seasons that we go through in this life. Some of you might be there right now. And you need to know that in darkness, you will naturally start reaching. It's just what we do. In darkness, when you don't know where you're at, you're looking for a ref- reference point. And so in darkness, you naturally start reaching. And don't miss what I say next. All of us have within us the ability to reach for the wrong things. We have the ability, we have have it in us to reach for the wrong things in hopes that maybe that will fill, fill the gap of what I'm not filling right now. Maybe that's the solution that I need to my dark season of life right now. And what we reach for sometimes in darkness and the things that we make up have the tendency to mess us up. And so if That represents your story right now and you're thinking to yourself, man, I am in one of those dark seasons and I can't see a way through it. Jesus says, I am. That leads me to my next two statements from Jesus that he is the door of the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. I'm gonna put these two together because they come out of the same passage in John chapter 10. Let me read it to you. He says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thieves' purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Another translation says an abundant life. And then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Now don't miss the brilliance, brilliance here because Jesus, as he always does, is masterfully working in a teaching way through his crowd and he's speaking to their capacity. And the way that I have mentioned this before in the past is all of us have a capacity of understanding, right? And so for instance, I could get up here As a pastor, I've got a master's degree in biblical studies and I can get up here and I could say some incredibly intellectual biblical things and you could leave and go out those doors and be like, wow, like Aaron's sermon was so deep today. And somebody would ask you, hey, well, what did you get out of it? I have no idea, but it was so deep and so spiritual, right? That's not what I'm going after. I have no desire to get up here and sound intellectual and smart for the sake of sounding intellectual and smart. Nor do I think that's the approach that Jesus Ever took. And for for what it's worth, do you know the number three reason people leave a church is because they couldn't understand what the pastor is talking about? And so Jesus is taking something that's very relevant for his audience. He's speaking to their capacity. And he says, Guys, I'm a good shepherd, I'm the gate that you got to get the sheep through. And you better believe that his audience would have understood that there were good shepherds and there were bad shepherds, right? There were good shepherds that took the time to train their sheep. They would even train them to the sound of their staff. If they hit the staff on the ground twice, go left. If they hit it three times, they would go right. There were shepherds that took time to help the sheep learn what the sound of their voice sounded like so they could guide them away from danger. And then there were bad shepherds. Typically, it was a hired hand, somebody that just needed a little bit of cash And they just needed a job for the day. They didn't care what happened to the sheep. And so Jesus says, Listen to me. I'm both the guide and the gate. And I'm trying to guide you to the gate because there's only one gate that you need to go through. It's not just a gate that will get you into safety, it's a gate of salvation. And I'm gonna guide us there. And you gotta gotta know this. You gotta know this that we're gonna have opposition along the way, we're gonna have obstacles along the way. There are gonna be things that come in between me and you and me getting you to the gate. Again, using the metaphor as a sheep in the gate, he talks about the opposition of thieves and robbers and wolves. We know our opposition is a lot more dangerous. His name is Satan. He's a very real enemy. And Jesus says he's come to kill and to steal and destroy. And so I wanna help you to navigate through whatever those obstacles look like because listen to me, I don't want that for your life. And yes, you're gonna have your seasons of darkness and you're gonna have things that you don't know how to navigate through, which is why I want to be your shepherd. I wanna be your guide. I wanna get you through the gate. Where's Jesus trying to guide us to? He says abundant life. He's guiding us to a place of abundant life. What is that way? He says I am. Which leads me to my next I am statement. When Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life. Let me set the context for this one. There's a, there's a time in Jesus's ministry where he meets three siblings, two sisters named Mary and Martha and their brother named Lazarus. And they be, strike up a pretty good friendship. And so when Lazarus grows sick, um, it wasn't uncommon for anybody to see that, man, they wanted Jesus to come back. They wanted Jesus to come back and heal Lazarus. So word gets to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick, will you come back? And so Jesus is on his way back and then Lazarus dies in the process. And Martha, because he's not made it all the way back yet, Jesus hasn't made it all the way back yet, Martha actually comes out to meet him and maybe you can hear her frustration and the frustration in her voice when she says, Lord, if you had only been here, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Mary, her sister, actually shares that exact same sentiment a little bit later in the chapter. I meet a lot of people who have shared this sentiment. Maybe you have. God, why didn't you? Why didn't you save him or her? Why didn't you stop the. Why didn't you show up? And sometimes, because God didn't show up, people give up. I've met several of these people in my life. And when I have the opportunity, I usually sit down and I actually take them to this text and I show them. It's okay to be frustrated with God. Martha, Mary was frustrated with God. But I promise you the worst thing that you could do is to give up on God. I want to show you how Jesus responds to Martha. He says, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying Everyone who lives in me believes in me and will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And I'll use this and I'll I'll make it contextual on whoever I'm talking to. Hey, do you believe this, Joe? Do you believe this, Kelly, Samantha? Do you believe this, Aaron? That yes, even though death is very real, Jesus is saying that they will be opening if they put their faith and trust in him, that after death there is still life. And we use little cliches that I don't even like very much, like, oh, they're in a better place. And that doesn't even come close to accomplishing the promise being fulfilled in those that love Jesus here on this earth. And when they close their eyes for the very last time only to open them, if they could even just speak a moment to us, they'd say, listen, listen, listen. You don't need to worry. But let's be clear because I don't want to overshadow this at all. Death, especially in tragedy, It's hard. I've lived and experienced this firsthand. And I can assure you I've done my fair share of hard funerals. But Trace, no matter how tragic, no matter how tragic, no matter how untimely the death, if they trusted in Jesus, they're experiencing an abundant life that we can't fathom. The Bible declares over and over and over again that because Jesus defeated death, you were delivered from it. It's the most beautiful promise that we have from our Heavenly Father. Jesus was trying to help his disciples understand this when he was spending time with them and at one point in John 13, actually John 14, he said, guys, I'm gonna go away here soon And when I go away, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, a real physical place. Like I'm going and I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to call it my father's house. And in my father's house, there are many rooms. And then his disciples, as we probably would as well, how do we get Jesus? Like, that sounds amazing. How do we get there? And Jesus responded with our next I am statement. I am. I'm that way. I'm the way, the truth And the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. And listen to me, I'm never the smartest guy in the room, but if a guy predicts his death and resurrection and then follows through with that, I'm going to go with whatever he says, okay? And what does Jesus say? Specifically, between the time, this moment we have together right now, what does he say between now and whenever we close our eyes for the very last time? What does he say in this in between place? He says, Remain in me. Don't lose focus of me. Keep me the main thing. Be careful that I don't slip into the periphery of your life. Keep me center focus, which leads to our last I am statement. He says, Because I'm the vine you are the branches. If you remain in me, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Everybody say nothing. It's a strong word. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in him. You see, Trace, Jesus doesn't want you to lose sight of him. Jesus doesn't want you to follow false shepherds. Jesus doesn't want you to get lost in darkness. Jesus doesn't want you to open wrong doors and go through the wrong gates. Jesus doesn't want you to lose your way by following your own truth because when it comes to the main thing of our lives, Jesus is clear. I am. I am. To close, I want to get really practical and I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I want to get really practical. And I'll begin with this kind of illustration that we're all familiar with when it comes to like New Year's resolutions. A New Year's resolution. And if you don't know this about me, I used to be an owner of a health club, and so I'm very familiar with New Year's resolutions. And maybe you don't know this, but 92% of you will not follow through on your New Year's resolutions. So good luck, good luck. And what I'd like to encourage us in this new year, in 2022, is to be careful the kind of goals that we set. Because typically we're going to set, and again, I'm very familiar with this in doing what I used to do. We typically set goals that we want to accomplish, things that we want to do. Oftentimes, 92% of the time, we don't follow through on. And this year, can I encourage us to not have do goals, but who goals? That we would focus more on who we want to be Before we focus on what we want to do. Because if we focus more on who we want to be, what we end up doing, I promise you will lead you to a better place of wisdom. And so I want to ask that you do this. And I I wish I could look like everybody in the eye sometimes. I really want you to follow through on the action step that I want you to put in place. I want you to put together three I am statements of who you want to be. When I used to do life coaching, this was an exercise that I would take people through. And and I said, hey, write down three I am statements of who you want to be maybe three years from now. And you can't say this about you now, but you're hoping that in three years other people will be saying this about you. In other words, here was a few of mine over a decade ago. I am a man who is consistent in his faith and others seek out for wisdom because of that consistency. I don't know if I've become that man or not. I hope I have to some extent. I'm a father who's intentional and available for his kids. You know who has to answer that question? My kids. And so who do you want to become? And once you figure out who you want to become, what do you want others saying about you? And it doesn't have to be three to five years from now. Maybe it's a year from now. And once you figure out what you want others to be saying about you, the person that you want to become, put those I am statements in place and then put some action steps and become intentional behind it because who you are is your identity, and your identity will always shape your actions. Craig Rochelle says it this way, an unhealthy identity leads to unwise decisions, and those unwise decisions will reinforce an unhealthy identity. So three statements. I am, you fill in the blank. Who do you wanna be? Before you figure out what you wanna do, make sure you know who you want to be, and to set a framework And a foundation for that, let me remind you first of who God says you are. You're a forgiven child of God. You're a son or daughter of the Most High. You are light. You are loved. You're more than a conqueror. You're cherished. You're chosen. You're a champion for Christ. And although you are broken, you are still beautiful in the eyes of your Heavenly Father. And even though none of us are unworthy, or none of us are worthy of His love, Jesus said, you were still worth going to a cross to which you would maybe say, I am. And he would say, you are. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for another opportunity to bring Jesus back into focus. Another opportunity to make him the main thing of our life. And God, I bet a lot of us, since most of us are like the rest of us, I bet a lot of us are in here right now And we're coming to that conclusion that Jesus has been in our periphery. That he hasn't been the main point. That he hasn't been the center focus. And so God, would you allow something that you said through me this morning to bring us back to the center, bring him back to the center. That as we're... Becoming more familiar with who Jesus is and what he wants to do for us as we looked at these I am statements, God, that we would have a desire to want to reflect that nature. Who wouldn't want to reflect the nature of Jesus per what we read this morning? And so, God, every one of our stories looks different, which means we all need you in different ways, but would you help us to make Jesus the main thing once again? We're going to need your help. Some of us may be lost in some darkness right now because of our own decisions, our circumstances. Some of us may be experiencing something right now. We just can't see how to get through it and we just feel, we feel like we don't, it, we're, we're not enough to overcome it. So God, we need your help. Would you help us today? We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.